Our passage comes from Genesis chapter 15. It is a familiar passage, I believe, to most of us. But I want you to pay attention as I read the, the portion that is before us. Pay attention especially to the dialogue. What does Abraham say? What does the Lord say? What does Abraham ask? How does the Lord respond? After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, and if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. And I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, you shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, the land of, and then he names ten of the tribes in the area, ten nations. The reading of the Lord's word. Amen. You may be seated. Earlier in the week, I was in the office and Mark Davis walked by and he said, oh, by the way, I've changed the title to the sermon. <laughs> and we had sent one out earlier and I'd started to think about it a little bit and work on it. And I said, what is it? He said, well, we're going to talk about covenant, carcasses, and Christmas. I said, I like that. First of all, it's got that alliterative sound, the covenant, the carcasses, and Christmas. 
It's kind of a strange passage to be preaching on the third Sunday of Advent, don't you think? Not only that, our general theme is the marvelous light and the motif of light that we've seen in the Christmas saga. But this fits perfectly. Let me just give you a few things about this passage I think that are extremely important for us to know. I think that everyone here is familiar with it. This is the classic expression of God given the covenant that he made with Abraham. God had already called Abraham. We read about that in chapter 12 of Genesis. And Abraham had already had a good portion of his sojourn, but there was a lot of unfinished business and a lot of things going on and a lot of time was lapsing during this period of Abraham's life. And he was waiting on the Lord, waiting to hear again, wondering what was going to happen, engaging in a number of activities, growing and expanding his own estate, living there in the land of Canaan. And then the passage says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram. After what things? Well, read chapter 14. What you have described in chapter 14 is the closest thing to an ancient Mideastern world war. The kings of the north had invaded the kings of the south, had come down on the east side of the Jordan River Valley and come all the way down south of the Dead Sea and had raided. And one of the towns they had raided was Sodom. And one of the things they had done was taken captive Abram's nephew, Lot. Not only that, they had plundered and raided and taken a tremendous amount of spoil back and defeated the kings of the south. And if you read the complete story, what happened was Abram fell in because he wanted to re retrieve Lot. He fell in with his army, his private army that he had, and his power he put in, in a confederation with the kings of the south, and they pursued the kings of the north, chased them out of the territory, got all their goods, restored all the bounty, and got even more, and brought it all back. And one of the interesting things happened when they got them all back down and the south finally prevailed over the northern kings and the northern kings got back home, but they got back by the hair of their chinny chin chin because they were stripped of all the goods. There was this massive amount of loot. And the first thing Abraham did was offer a tithe to the Lord. And he went to the priest of the Most High God living in the town of Salem, a man by the name of Melchizedek, a king and a priest. And Abraham offered a tithe of all that they had won in the battle. And Melchizedek blessed Abraham. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. Immediately the king of Sodom said, Oh, I see what you're up to now. You were here to take all this possession. I see you're going to keep it for yourself. Well, just give me back my people, my soldiers, and their little bit that they've got, and I'll leave it all to you, big Abraham. I see you're taking over. God said you're going to possess the land, and I see you're going to take it all. And Abraham said, I will not take anything at all except just what was mine when I started this campaign. And Sodom, the king of Sodom, cursed Abraham. Oh, I wish I had time to tell you who Melchizedek represented and what he became and where Salem was. 
I think you know what happened to Sodom. I will bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. Now it's after all of this then that the Lord's word came to Abraham in a vision. And it's interesting that in that vision, the Lord, the first thing he says to him is, I am your shield. Fear not. This is the language of a commanding officer to a military man under his command who is involved in a campaign, a campaign perhaps of conquest. This is what the angel of the Lord said to Joshua, you remember. Fear not. This is all military language. This has the context of God being a supreme commander and Abraham being one of his very important lieutenants in the battle. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. In other words, I am your protector. I am the one that will take care of you. And then he says, I, your reward shall be great. Abraham had forfeited the reward of the battle. And now God tells him, your reward is going to be even greater. And the old authorized version sort of anticipates a little bit the nature of that reward where the Lord says in that translation, I am your exceeding great reward. A prophecy, no doubt, of Jesus Christ who would come and would be ultimately the reward of Abraham. And ultimately, as we say from this pulpit, almost every time we get a chance, all of the covenant promises that God made are fulfilled in this one Christ. He says, your reward will be very great. But Abraham then says, well, since you mentioned it, <laughs> I have a couple of questions. And Abraham asks two questions of the Lord. One, what about that offspring you promised me? That was years ago and I have not one child to show for it. And I have no one to inherit it. What do you mean I'm going to get a great inheritance, a great reward? What do you mean? What little bit of the bounty and the fruit of Canaan that came my way, I surrendered it back. And I have no child. Abram said, O oh Lord, will you give me for I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Now, Eliezer of Damascus had been Abram's right-hand man, his personal assistant since way back in the days when he came from the Ur of the Chaldees. He says, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. He's concerned about the heir. Now, let me skip forward for just a minute and see what he's concerned about again. The Lord has said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, oh, how am I going to know that I will possess it? Abraham is concerned about the land. Didn't you promise me the land? Abraham now is, where's the offspring? Where's the land? And this is how the Lord answers him. He answers him with two great I am statements. I am there in verse 1. And then again, I am there in verse 7. I am the Lord. I am your reward and your shield. 
I'm the one that's going to bring this to pass. Now he notes how he's going to bring it to pass. He says, first of all, you don't worry about your your heir being Eliezer. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son. And he brought him out and he said, look toward the heavens and number the stars if you're able. He said, your offspring will be like the stars of the sky. No doubt it was a cloudless night, a clear night. Abraham was out of the tent, was able to look at the stars and saw their massive number, innumerable in the immensity. And in his mind is an offspring. He's thinking of an offspring, a descendant, a son, an heir. And while he was still childless, while he was gazing at the stars, he could hear the stars sing. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. And one of those stars, and I doubt if Abram was able to pick it out, would be the star over Bethlehem. One of those stars would be the son, the heir, the offspring. And while Abraham was stargazing, he seized upon the promise of God and with empty hands, childless empty hands, he grasped the covenant. The Bible says he believed it. He trusted God. He depended upon God. He seized with empty hands upon that which God had promised by his mere and sheer word of promise. And when Abraham believed God about the offspring, the star, the bright and morning star, God counted it for righteousness. This is where faith serves us. In the darkness, in the ambiguity, in the emptiness, in the lostness, in the inexplicable and the dubious. God's word comes and we believe it. That's faith. One of the commentators says this is the best passage often quoted anywhere in the Bible on the nature of saving faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That answers the question of the son, the heir. But the second question hangs there. And he said, how am I to know, Lord, that I possess it? The Lord said, I brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldeans. I gave you this land to possess said, how am I to know that I am possessive? The Lord then gives him another exercise. Instead of stargazing, the Lord assigns him a job of butchery. <laughs> he is to get some animals. He is to take those animals and to shed their blood, to kill them, to bifurcate them, and to display them before the Lord. Strange ritual except that in this ritual we begin to see a few things about the way God works. If there's to be any accounting, if there's to be any reckoning, if there's to be any dealing with sin, it's going to come through the shedding of blood. And if God's going to give the promise of salvation, it's going to be blood-soaked. And so we have here the slaughter 
of these animals. And interestingly enough, these animals are the types of animals that were used then years later in the Levitical sacrifice and all through the generations until Christ came, it was the, the, the bovine, the bull, the heifer. It was the goat, as in the scapegoat and the atonement sacrificial goat, and the ram, the little lamb of the ram especially, God would use as one of the signs and symbols of the coming of Christ. Because you see, in order for God to accomplish His purpose, He's going to work with a carcass. There's got to be something in the flesh. There has to be some incarnation. And these animals beautifully typify the incarnation of Christ. It was necessary that Christ come that He, as a human being, might be able to offer Himself in the place of all of us human beings, and that His blood would be shed, and the shedding of that blood would bring about a real death. And so we see this ritual where He slaughters and bifurcates these animals. And there's a lot of symbolism here. We don't have to go into a lot of it. One of the things that is most interesting is the animals that he brought were animals that were three years old, which meant they were in the prime of their life. It was a sacrifice to offer a bull upon the altar, but it was a much greater sacrifice to offer a heifer because a three-year-old heifer has several seasons of calving ahead. And that's how your fortune is to be made. If you're to multiply and prosper, your, your animals are going to have to have a whole lot of offspring. And to take a heifer in the prime of her life and to lay her upon that altar and, and, and have her sacrificed was a genuine sacrifice. And same is true with the, with the she-goat. And this symbolized them. But the ram, the lamb, was a male, the firstling of the flock, without spot, without blemish the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Well, to work a little bit more, it's interesting that the Lord gives him all of this prophecy concerning himself about the, the nation, and we won't go into that, but he basically prophesies that you'll not only have an offspring, but this offspring will multiply into a large family, which will then become a clan, which will then be taken down into Egypt's bondage and captivity and stay there a long time. And then eventually I will deliver them and they will come back. And it is they who eventually will possess this land in, in a physical literal sense. And so God's given him kind of the, the, uh, the scope, the prophetic scope of the next four to 500 years of his offspring's history. And he talks about how Abram himself will be buried and live a good life. He'll be buried at an old age, 175 years, as a matter of fact. But it's interesting that when he talks about the son and the seed, he says, your very own son. You do know Abraham had other children. Ishmael by Hagar, six sons by, by Keturah, another wife other than Sarah. But it was your son, and when he came time to sacrifice him, he said, your only son. This was the child of promise. This was not just the seed of Abraham's flesh. This was the seed of God's giving, the miracle child, the child of the, of the barren womb, the child of the virgin womb, 
who would come and be the one that would fulfill all that. And when he came to the land, God gave the same kind of promise. He said, how will I know that you possess it? And he gave him this ceremony. And listen to the, to the language that takes place here, beginning in verse 17. The sun had gone down. It was dark. The sun had gone down and it was dark. Earlier in the passage it said, the sun was going down and a deep sleep fell on Abram. A dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. You see the picture? Abraham had performed this ceremony, laid these animals out, had fought off the condors and the, bu the buzzards the rest of the day to keep them from getting to the carcass. He was defending his, his heritage and his promise. What does all of this mean? And darkness fell. He was darkness of soul in that Abraham was in a deep sleep. And it's the same term that's used with Adam when he was in a deep sleep, when God took the rib to make Eve. It's a symbol of death. God takes him down to a state of darkness, darkness of the soul, darkness and stillness of the body, a place of helplessness where only God can do it. And the environment, all of the ambiance was pitch black. And as we've said now for three Sundays in a row, the blacker it gets, the brighter is the shining of the presence of God. And that's exactly what happened. The presence of God appeared like He so often did in a cloud and in fire. There was a smoking pot that was putting out a huge mushroom cloud of smoke. And then there was a flaming torch with a beaming, brilliant flame protruding out a veritable blowtorch of the divine presence. And they walked between the pieces of this carcass, these carcasses. And this was the presence of God, as it were, cutting a covenant. That's the word covenant means. It comes from the word to cut. Cutting a covenant, shedding of the blood, giving an oath that he, the Lord, would bring it to pass. And so that was the confirmation that Abram had in the knowing that he would possess the land. And it says, on that day, the Lord made a covenant, a unilateral oath, a promise, with Abraham saying, to your offspring, I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then interestingly enough, he names, and I didn't read them because I get tongue-tied when I read that many names that sound alike. Name 10 tribes, 10 nations that were in that area that Abraham was familiar with. Some of them were great nations. Some of them hadn't reached their greatness yet, but it was a, a pretty good lot of, of the people all around him that occupied that area from the Euphrates to the Nile and that huge area that God had promised. But it's interesting that God named the nations. It wasn't just geography, it was ethnography. Ethnography, the, the, the nations, the ethname, the goim, the people. The inheritance is not just a piece of property, but it is a group of people. 
that are symbolized by the naming of all of these neighboring tribes. Here was the promise I will make of thee a great nation. And here's how the nation is comprised. Coming out of Israel, old, literal, physical Israel, old Jacob and his boys, the 12 tribes, the unbelievable history of sin and rescue and salvation and restoration and captivity and restoration and rebuilding and tearing down and all the story of Israel. Out of that whole complex, God brought forth one Son, Jesus Christ. And He was a literal descendant from the human side of Abraham. Read about it in the narratives of the Gospel of Matthew and Luke. Brought it down to one. And Paul even makes it clear. He said, he did not say seeds, but of one seed, thy seed, which is Christ. And in that one person who was the true seed of Abraham, the true offspring, was vested all of the covenant promises and all of the inheritance and everything that would be in there. The salvation, the prosperity, the great name, the great nation in that one seed. And then interestingly enough, it didn't proceed from that one seed in a physical way. Jesus had no physical children. But instead, from that moment on, it was entirely personally and exclusively spiritual. It is a number of those who are in Christ by faith. Jews, yes. Gentiles, yes. People of all cultures, people of all generations, people of all nations. By faith, the faith of Abraham, believing God. And everyone that is in Christ is an heir, a seed, an offspring. And when you start extrapolating it out, all the people that have been in Christ over the centuries, going back to Adam, who along those ancient days before Christ came, there were types and there were symbols and there were visions and there were hints in the sacrificial system. And all through Israel, there were things that testified of the Christ and belief and obedience to those things were the things that God looked to to see the heart and to turn the heart to His people. And that's what God has done. He has placed in Christ by faith an innumerable host of every tribe, every kindred, every nation, every century, every generation that you can possibly imagine. And that's the people. That's the whole promise, the great name, the great land, the great ethnicity, the great nation, all in Christ. By faith, just like Abraham. Have you done any spiritual stargazing lately? Have you looked at the mass of the stars and realized that there's one star? that is the true star, the guiding star, 
the saving star. And that is none other than Jesus Christ, the little carcass who laid in a manger, growing up in order that he might be a sacrificial lamb for our salvation. I think there is some Christmas story in that old passage, don't you?